It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today, I am talking with Kelsa, and we had a very short chat before recording. And I wanted to keep it short because I wanted to share all of these words of wisdom and just get the authentic ways of saying things, Kelsa. Right right before I hit record today, you were explaining to me how you saw a bit of a gap in which people were discussing student loan and student loan forgiveness, student loan debt. This is something that I don't know a lot about. And the main reason is due to a privilege that I have of my parents who paid for my college education. And I believe they took out loans, but I was never involved with it. And I didn't recognize that privilege until probably the past 10 years or so when I started to hear more and more people speaking out about what student loans were like, because I never had to go through it myself, I did not realize how, for lack of a better word, and correct me if this isn't the right term, but corrupt the student loan world seems to be, or unfair might be another word. And to me, one of the greatest things my parents ever did for me, which now looking at it, I can appreciate. Whereas when I enrolled in college, I I had in my mind, like, I just assumed other people either had the financial stability to go to college, they were saving up for it, or their parents took care of it like mine, but I did not recognize how much of a financial burden it had been on people. And Kelsa, you shared with me how you felt like it wasn't being explored in a specific way without putting words in your mouth or, or quoting you inaccurately. I'd love to go back to that point that you made right before we started recording. As a financial coach, I help people figure out how to pay off their student loan debt or sort of get a handle on it or even plan ahead for college and be intentional about the amount of student loan debt you may want to incur or how you feel about your student loan debt and all those types of things. Also, the role that it plays in your other life goals, whether that's buying a house or launching a business, starting a family, all those types of things. And it's been growingly obvious how much of an issue student loan debt is for people in general. We keep seeing the balances get bigger and bigger. We've had so many clients that have paid on their student loans for 10 years, and the balance today is more than it was when they first graduated college. I mean, it just you use the word corrupt, it broken is really the word that I use. It's a very broken system. It is sort of the system that many people are forced to sort of play because of financial need. So for so many people, myself included, like going to college, there was no money there, contribution there, or anything like that. Student loans were really what I needed to do. And there's ways that you can do it that make it okay, you know, where it's not a big problem. But there's just not enough conversation around what that entails. And so what's happening is that the problem has gotten so much bigger that it has now created a massive sort of pandemic 
in finances for people. That's where this student loan forgiveness really came about. It's also sort of widened the racial disparity around college and graduating from college and income and other financial growth. And when the student loan forgiveness first came out, this was about a month ago, I would say, the initiative was announced. I sort of knew that some people would feel incredibly grateful for receiving $10,000. Like what that $10,000 was going to be able to do for people was going to be significant. It was going to give them hope in an area of their finances that they had not experienced hope in a very long time, like stifling, stuck, disparaged, like just so many words that people feel because it's like, we hear people say all the time, like, I'm just going to die with those. Those student loans, I, I will die with them kind of thing. And the idea is I will always have this $1,000 a month student loan payment. And just what that does to a person's drive and ambition and sort of all those types of things, I knew that getting that $10,000 could create such momentum for people. It would overall boost people's financial well-being. I knew that. And then with financial well-being and hope, what that does is people live a better life, right? Like they're able to achieve goals. They're able to think about their future differently, more proactively, more with enthusiasm, sort of a zest for life. I mean, that is one thing I will say is that we have seen student loan balances rob people of a zest for life, really and truly. The spiraling out of that is so detrimental. But I also knew that while some people would feel that enthusiasm and that excitement and that hope, there would also be people who would feel resentful because maybe they paid off their student loans and they would feel frustrated and maybe jaded or envious and like those types of things. And that's fair to feel that way. I knew that like that was going to be a component of this as well. But one thing that absolutely surprised me that I didn't expect was other financial professionals and other financial experts, what their response to the student loan forgiveness was and what their messaging behind it was and sort of what they did to, I think, perpetuate shame, like comparing or allowing people to compete for struggles as opposed to creating more of this abundance mindset of like by lifting up an entire group of people who have been suffering and stifled and have no zest for life, like we will all benefit from that indirectly, directly, that kind of thing, whether that is the teacher at your kid's school, the other parents of the kids that your kids play with, them maybe being able to be more hands-on, maybe not working that second job at night, how much more hands-on they can be with their kids just the people, your coworkers that you work with every single day and your family members and your friends. And like knowing that this will absolutely, I think, have the ability to uplift all of us. And that's, to me, the lens that we should be talking about this through and seeing other financial professionals, even financial therapists, which we can talk about a little bit of some of the differences between financial coaching and financial therapy. But how many financial therapists were sort of speaking about the shame of, well, some people did it responsibly. If this was irresponsible for people, as if there was some sort of handout and the reason you were getting a handout was because you were lazy or didn't deserve it or something like that. And to see that sort of messaging out there, I think it just points to a much bigger problem around how people perceive financial handouts, sort of the struggle with money, Money is not character flaw if you don't have a lot of it. That's the messaging that has been going around. It's sort of like a drug addiction therapist 
shaming a person for relapsing or an AA sponsor getting a call from somebody saying that they've relapsed and that sponsor sort of shaming that person for relapsing, you know, or having a drink or that kind of thing. Financial experts have actually been shaming people for being in student loan debt. And it's been, to me, sort of a travesty of the situation. You said so many poignant things, Kelsey. I'm so excited to have you here talking about this because you're sharing perspectives that I haven't thought through in some of these ways. Again, likely because not having student loans that I was paying directly. I've often stopped to think about not only what other people are experiencing, but my parents too, like the stress that this, not that it was necessarily easy for them. I actually haven't even talked to my parents about it. And this conversation is inspiring me because some of what you're touching upon is if we're not impacted by something, we just go about life with maybe not even curiosity about what other people are experiencing. And they might be carrying so much emotional weight, whether it's shame, frustration, you said lack of hope, just a lot of heaviness. And when you're talking about well-being, I feel like finances are often not top of mind. But certainly for me, my well-being shifts a lot depending on how I feel about my money. And when something unexpected comes up, I can feel it in my chest. Like I feel like my whole body tightening up. And imagine how many people are carrying around that constantly because of these things, because of feeling like they're never going to get out of it. I mean, that shocking fact of somebody is paying off money for years and then looking at the balance and realizing they not only haven't made progress, but it might have gotten worse because of interest. I use the word corrupt and you use the term broken, which feels a little bit more positive. I mean, corrupt is sometimes I wonder, like, was it designed this way from like an evil standpoint or is this just the way that these organizations have made money off of people. And I pause and think like, how do these people sleep at night? I would imagine there are some people that have ended their lives due to this type of stress. There are people that maybe have committed crimes or have done awful things, treated their people in their lives poorly. Like the ripple effect of financial stress impacts us all. And I'm also so glad that you said about how it impacts the whole community. Again, it might not affect you, but it could impact others. And that's why if somebody else has an opportunity for financial relief in some way, we should be so thrilled about that. In fact, Virgie, the woman that was on my show last week talking about financial literacy said, what affects one of us affects us all. Public health is public safety. And she really emphasized that in our discussion. And I'm so glad you're bringing it up too, because we have to look outside of ourselves when it comes to money. But we also have to be proactive in educating ourselves about other people's experiences is one of the big reasons I was really looking forward to speaking with you today. You said so many things. Financial struggle, in my mind, has become so pervasive in our world that it's almost like we don't even realize it anymore. If we are all experiencing our own version of financial struggle, then it makes it so much harder to sort of have compassion for other people who are struggling because we're just sort of in survival mode ourselves. And I think oftentimes we think of financial struggle as like somebody who's on the verge of bankruptcy or somebody who's really in over their head with credit cards debts and, and or on the verge of foreclosure on their house. And yes, absolutely. 
that is one sort of version of financial struggle. When I think of financial struggle, I think about how many ways we aren't using money as a tool to live our best life, whether that is working a job we absolutely hate every day and it is like depleting us of our energy, like our self-identity, like we start to lose sight of ourselves or maybe we're stuck in an abusive relationship or like those types of situations where we feel so stuck because of money. And to me, that is also a version of financial struggle where we just aren't using money as a tool, you were talking about finance well-being and how finances aren't usually considered part of that. And in my opinion, finances are sort of the tool that help you improve your well-being in all of the other areas. I can't think of a single goal a person has in life where money wouldn't make that goal easier or faster to achieve. Or if your goal is to improve your physical well-being, having a personal trainer, being able to eat organic fruits and vegetables, being able to think about what you're putting into your body, maybe having better meals that you're preparing for yourself with more high quality ingredients. Like those are all just really simple examples where a little bit more money would help. I mean, I think about mental health and how mental health, if you could hire a therapist or a coach or something like that to really help you or take time off and go to a spa and practice self-care or do any sort of thing where you feel like not every minute of every day is focused on survival. And I don't always mean survival as in like, how am I going to put food on the table tomorrow? But sort of just that like white knuckling life a little bit because it's just a challenge for everybody. And to me, money has become such a pervasive struggle that we don't even realize that it doesn't have to be that way. And it's so common across the board that having all of these people struggle with student loans and how that's affecting them, we're all indirectly impacted by that because if we don't see other people striving through life and reaching their goals, that energy affects us. If we surround ourselves with people who are going after their goals and financially putting their money behind what they want to achieve in life, it inspires us to do the same thing. And it's sort of this, that's why I say it's like a pandemic. Like it is really so pervasive that we're, I think we've lost sight of just how bad it's gotten. You'd mentioned the teachers earlier, like if your teacher was struggling financially. I mean, that, as I reflect on it, I think about the pain I felt in my heart when I realized how little teachers get paid. Or how a lot of them have to buy their own supplies for school or fundraise from it and rely on parents to donate things. And the parents wondering, like, why are we having to pay this? Like, parents are probably feeling financially stressed as it is. And then they, they're responsible for bringing things to the school. And you look at some of those elements and how crucial it is to have good teachers in your life. But then you wonder, wow, maybe the quote, bad teachers are those that are just struggling so much. You had mentioned too the survival mode, how hard it is to help others, to have compassion for others when you're just trying to survive. And what a gift it is to have a teacher who either has the financial resources to be able to focus on their teaching or has the emotional ability to take care of others even if they're struggling through these things. When I think about financial struggle, I think one way you could define it that might be a way for everybody to sort of connect with it is it's not just, can I pay a bill tomorrow or can I put food on my table tomorrow? If you are routinely making decisions from a place of whatever is going to give you a short-term financial benefit versus the long-term impact that it can have on your life, 
then you are experiencing financial struggle. Because oftentimes what we want to be focusing on is like, what is going to make my life better? Even if it's like a short-term cost, but a long-term gain, those gains, those intangible gains are really what we always want to be focusing on. No matter what your position, no matter what role you play, no matter what kind of decision you're making every day, if what you find is that you're routinely making it from this perspective of like, what's going to cost the least or what can I afford or what's going to make it so that like I can get by today financially, then the impact that that is having long term on all of us is pretty great, in my opinion. Something else that I'd love to explore is the privilege of not even recognizing how much of a struggle this is for others. There was something that you said here that that got me reflecting on it. It was when you were mentioning mental health, just having the money to pay for a therapist or a coach. I actually had a recent experience that was eye-opening because I know that there are coaches and therapists that work on sliding scales or pro bono and some insurance that'll cover those services. And so in my head, I thought, well, it feels pretty accessible to me. But then I have to recognize it feels accessible to me. That doesn't necessarily mean that the situation that somebody else is going to feel easy for them or be easy for them because there are so many factors. Just getting insurance can be a privilege or just having the resources to do the research, the time resources, or knowing how to start. I mean, some people are completely overwhelmed. Even getting a therapist can feel overwhelming. The fear that you might have about having a bad experience, the post-traumatic stress of having a bad experience with a coach, you mentioned some that might not be as positive as an experience as others. Some people might have one therapy session, one coaching session, saying, this was bad, this is not for me, they'll never try again. I mean, there's so many things that go into getting support with your mental health and emotional well-being. And so to call it easier accessible may not be accurate for all. One of the things that people say when it comes to student loan forgiveness is, well, you shouldn't have taken out that much to begin with, or you should pay it off because I paid mine off and you should pay yours off and like those types of things. It really does come down to sort of not realizing just how unique maybe our own experiences. They're not the same for everybody. Then everybody has a sort of different experience. And I do think I have my experience sort of bridges the gap a little bit between two different scenarios in the sense that I went to college, I received a Pell Grant, which I'll talk about in just a second, but then I also was able to pay it off afterwards. And for me, when I was a high school, the only reason I went to college was because I was at my best friend Megan's house one day and her and her mom were talking about college applications and that sort of thing. And she very nonchalantly asked me what colleges I had applied for. I am sure that my face looked like completely stunned because I hadn't applied to any. This going to college was not a conversation that was had in my house. Like we didn't talk about higher education. It's not the world that I grew up in. We grew up without a lot of money. I was good in school. I was very active. Things were fine, but it was also just not my world to talk about that. I didn't know anything about college. And the next time I went over her house, her mom had handed me two college applications and the FAFSA form that which is how you apply for student aid. She had even little flags on the form where my mom needed to complete certain sections. And she said, here's two college applications. Here's the application for college, student loans, that kind of thing. 
you have to do this, Kelsa, you have to. And I did. And I like, it makes me cry thinking about just what she did for my life in that moment. When you can think back in your life and you have like those very pivotal moments where you're like, the decision I made in that moment, my life could have gone in a completely different direction based on that decision. And there's a few of those in my life. And that is one of them where I think, God, where would I be today? Had my friend Megan, had her mom not done that. But when I went to college, I had a little bit of a scholarship. I had a lot of student loans and I also received a Pell Grant. So a Pell Grant has been around for decades. People hear this term, but they don't really know what it means. It's essentially a grant that the government gives students who show and can demonstrate financial need. So you have to be at a certain poverty level or just above the poverty level. This is not just like a grant that goes to just about anybody. This is truly people who you come from a background where likely your parents aren't going to be able to afford to put you through college. They're not going to be contributing. Likely, if your income is at that level, they likely did not go to college. It's not just the financial element that they can't contribute. They probably can't contribute to like what the process is like and how you get into college and how you apply and the emotional journey of like going away to college. They, they really can't even support their children in that way because they didn't experience it not just the financial element of it. And so I received a Pell Grant. And I remember in college, 17, 18, 19 years old, I was awarded student loans. I would take, let's say, 15 credit hours. The government would pay the university for those 15 credit hours. But because I was awarded more student loans than what the university needed for those 15 credit hours, the government sent me what's called a refund check every semester. And I can remember getting this refund check. But mind you, I'm 17, 18, 19 years old. I'm away at college and have no financial means of like, and I worked three jobs in college. Like I remember just thinking like I was very much on my own. This was not like I didn't have a gas card that my parents gave me just in case or anything like that. And getting this refund check that was like $3,3500 a semester and living off of it, like truly living off of it. When people say people are living off of student loans, it's said in this way of like, shame on you. Shame on you for like living your life based on student loans. In my opinion, I look back on that and I'm like, I was 17, 18, 19 years old and I did that. And maybe that wasn't the smartest, but I know I was doing my best. And I have no doubt about that. And I do think this is one of those questions that I would love for people to ask themselves is, are you giving people credit? Are you giving them the benefit of the doubt? Are you assuming the worst out of them that they did it with poor intentions? It's not like I got that check and knew that I was going to have to pay it back someday. And I was like, well, this is stupid, but I'm going to do it anyway. That people don't make decisions with that thought. They're not like, this is dumb. Hmm, Let me go and do it anyway. Like it's really people. Do you give people the benefit of the doubt? Do you have faith in people? Do you have faith that people are doing the best things with the knowledge they have at that time of their life. And like, yes, I can look back on that retrospectively now and be like, wow, the fact that they would just hand a 17, 18, 19 year old, this $3,500 check and just expect me to know how to manage that and expect me to know that four years later when I'm working, this, the impact of that is going to be this much per month in a student loan payment. This 17, 18, 19 year old, I don't think has sort of the forward perspective, like the long-term perspective. And if you don't have parents who can provide that to you, or if you don't have a mentor at that part of your life, and if the university is not providing that mentorship, they're just sort of giving it to you and saying, good luck, then 
why are we putting that burden on that individual to know that? Like, why do we assume that they should have known that when we're not teaching it? This is a really big element of like financial literacy is we expect people to just know how to manage money. It is just this expectation that everybody should know how to do it. We touch it every single day. And yet very few people, this is a skill. It is something that you have to like learn how to get better at throughout your entire life. It is a skill that you can learn. It's not like a finite, it's not a fixed state of like how you're managing it. For some reason, we just assume someone who's bad with money or made a mistake with money is bad with money. And they're sort of always going to be that way and that they knew that they were bad with money and they did the decision anyway, if that makes sense. I do this show so that I can share important stories and learn from all different types of people. And this feels like a good moment for me to pause and shout out one of the episode sponsors, Zencaster, which is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio quality audio and video. When I'm working with a guest, it is awesome because it records each of our audio and video locally, meaning to each of our computers, and then it uploads it to the cloud with crystal clear audio and video, as hopefully you've noticed, so that the editors that I work with have some really high quality material. And this is all done so seamlessly, so easily, that it's made my life really simple. It's created a great experience for my guests. And again, I hope that it's made a good experience for, with you too. And this is why I'm thrilled to have Zencaster as a sponsor. If you want to try it out, you can use my code WellEvatorZen at Zencaster.com slash pricing. The code is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-Z-E-N. When you use that, you will receive 30% off of your first three months of Zencaster Professional. There's also a free version, but the professional version of this has so many amazing features. I want you to have the same simple experiences that I have with all of my podcasting and content needs. I believe it's finally time to tell your story. So check out the link in the code in the description as well as the show notes. Kelsey, you're bringing up so many wise, important, and in my world, things that are not talked about that frequently. And I'm curious, what was it in your life that led you to work that you're doing? How did you become passionate and knowledgeable about these things? That's a really good question. So when I was in college, actually, my degree was in personal financial planning, finances. Money has always been something that I've been fascinated by. My mom had a good job. She was a social worker. She did not go to college to do that. This was you know, back in the day, you did not need to. She took a test when she was 18 and worked for the state of Michigan and became a social worker for 35 years and had a good job, but it was a very stressful job. I remember her sitting at the dining room table for hours on end and she would have a stack of paper. She would have like like a notepad with a pen and she would have a stack of mail that was opened and then a stack of mail that was unopened. And I just remember glancing over at her. And the word I, I always think of when I picture this moment, like I can see her so clearly today in my mind is despair. It was not for lack of trying of like, how do I do this? How do I figure this out? I remember her sitting there for hours sometimes, like trying to get ahead financially, trying to manage her money better and really just not knowing how to do it, not knowing, not having the skills and not having someone to show her and those types of things. And I just can think of all the times where I 
I can think back about if my mom just had a little bit less financial stress, how that would have impacted other areas of her life, whether that's her happiness, her relationships, her own mental health, her physical health, going to the doctor. I mean, I just feel like I saw it play out my whole life. I went to college, got a degree in finance, practiced as a financial advisor for three years. But one of the things that was happening was we'd, they'd want to talk about investments and asset allocation. And I would be like, oh, okay, fine, <laughs> I guess. But then somebody would come in and say, I have this debt and I want to figure out how to get out of debt. And I'd be like, yes, let's go. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's tackle this. For some reason, it was just more of like the day-to-day part of money that I was fascinated by. And I think it's the part of money that is very nuanced. Financial literacy is having financial knowledge. And I feel like financial coaching is doing something with that knowledge. What are you going to do about it? What actions do you want to take now that you know that? And I was listening to your episode where you shared your journey of credit cards and your own financial awareness and how you budget for your travel. And I love that episode, by the way. But I was thinking about so many of the steps that you took that you just, you were able to take. And some of the steps are really hard for people. The first thing that oftentimes happens is everybody at some point sort of makes a decision of like, I want my money to be better. I want it to be easier. I want to do it differently. There's typically like that initial step. And what creates that is different for everybody. So sometimes it's like the you overdraft your checking account and you're like, oh, this is the last time I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this differently. Other times it's a more subtle thing. It's sort of like, I'm just done winging it. Like, I just don't want to wing it anymore. I want to be more intentional. Nothing even has to happen. You just sort of, it's like the sense of like, I'm done being tired about this. I'm done sort of not making it better. Either way, everybody sort of has that moment. But then from there, you have to sort of know what to do next, right? You have to have an idea. And for you, it was like, I'm going to go pay attention. I'm going to, you talked about, you created a spreadsheet. You just started paying attention, which I love because there's no wrong way to do this step really and truly. But That step right there for a number of people can be really challenging. Like they don't know what to do. Should I do this first? Should I open up a spreadsheet? Should I go to my bank account? Should I go to something like mint.com? Like what is the step that I should do first? Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge of like, I don't know where to go, what to do, like the actual logistics of it. Sometimes there's fear and hesitation of like, I'm afraid of what I'm going to see. I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. And even if I look at it, then you have the step of like needing to interpret it. Some people can take the step looking at it, same all the things you did, whether that's mint.com, spreadsheet, whatever the case may be. So some people can then take that step. But even once you take that step, you then have to know how to interpret what you are looking at. And that step is easy for some people and hard for others where they're like, okay, I just did this step, but like now I don't even know why, like what is it telling me? And then once you do that, which again, some people can do naturally, Then the next step is figuring out, and now what do I want to do about it? Now I know what I'm looking at and I can interpret it. Now what changes do I want to make? What are some steps I can take to improve it? And again, that's another step where some people are like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what those steps should be. Or I'm afraid to take those steps. Maybe I don't believe, I don't trust myself to make those steps. I don't trust myself to make those changes. It's like at every step of that, I love trying to figure out what makes people tick. And I just love figuring out how can a person take action, not from a place of shame and not from this place of I'm running away from a situation I've created or I'm 
running away from a mistake that I've made because I don't think that's productive and I don't think it's healthy. And that is actually the message that's around there with money in our world. Like that is literally what everybody says when it comes to money is like, you've got to get out of debt. I want to make that decision from this place of what do I want for my life? What am I trying to create? Who am I becoming? Yes, get out of debt, but why? What's on the other side of the debt that you're trying to create for yourself that you can't create for yourself now with the debt? And that's why we want to take action. It's more of like the trajectory of where your life is going. It's more about making the decision from a place of, I care so much about my future that I'm willing to make these changes and less about I'm running away from my past or the mistakes that I've made. Everything that you're sharing really speaks to your strength as a coach. Truly. I worked with one financial coach years ago and it was actually really neat. I don't know if I had mentioned this on the show before, but it was through Capital One and they had a program. I don't know if they still do where you could work with a coach for like three or four sessions for free. And speaking of luck, I lucked out and had this wonderful woman. I was amazed that this was free. (laughs) They were paying her. They had hired just a fantastic person who was able to guide me through my current financial situation and, and think about my goals a lot like what you're sharing. And people like you and her are just gems in this world because to be able to speak about it without shame, to be able to look at somebody's specific situation, not just give you cookie cutter advice that doesn't relate. What was interesting about that is to look back on where I was at at that point versus now mentally and and really acknowledge the shifts in my mind. As you mentioned in some of my episodes, I've talked about that journey. I think my brain just happens to work in a way in which I'm able to do some of these things. I find joy in, in some of the financial side of things, but I certainly find overwhelm and tons of ignorance. For example, I kind of understand the stock market. I've lucked out and bought some stock that have done really well. I've had some jobs with stock options. Same thing with investing. That's something I, I really don't understand. Sometime in the past year, I sat down and tried to calculate how much money I would want for retirement. Like you're talking about the debt and what's on the other side. Tackled my credit card debt and have very little debt aside from my car. It's really my biggest source of debt right now. I'm looking at the other side for me of my future and recognizing how much ignorance I've had about saving for retirement. I really had not done the calculation of how much money I'd have to put aside and the systems in which I'd have to set up IRAs and 401ks and investing in stock and all these other things out there. That feels deeply overwhelming. It's odd because my mother worked in the banking institute and had all this stuff set up. It makes sense to her. And when I brought it up to her, my confusion and overwhelm, she was confused. She didn't understand why it felt complicated to me and overwhelming to me. And maybe in her head, she thought because she understood it that I did too. (laughs) And part of me felt a little resentful. I'm like, mom, like you could have told me some things 10 years ago that could have drastically shaped where I am today. And I'm not blaming her. One thing that's come up as you've been speaking, Kelsa, is how some of these things are really tough 
And if you don't have the right people in your life or the right resources or the natural desire to do the research and figure it out, you can find yourself in some really tough situations. And one person can make that huge shift for you. Absolutely. One person can make all the difference, which is why I think if we are seeing this messaging out there that like you should be ashamed for having student loan debt or needing to accept student loan money or that kind of thing, I want you to imagine a person who for the first time feels hope and doesn't feel stifled and that kind of thing. And really quickly, I want to touch on something you said. So um, what you just described where now you're sort of looking to investments and long-term planning and that kind of thing. The reason you are now able to do that, money is a lifelong journey. We're always building our awareness and skills and that sort of thing. And typically what happens is we can't think about our future 20 years down the road when we are stressed about our future next week. It is a privileged place to be that you are able to now develop that next skill with your money. The fact that you can do that actually, and and you've put this work into your money, right? Like you've gained awareness, you've put changes in place. Like you talked about that in that podcast episode, it's afforded you this beautiful opportunity to now do the next thing with money. I want you to imagine all these people we're talking about that have felt stifled in the weight of the world on their shoulders and that kind of thing. This is one of those examples of an opportunity that they cannot rise to the occasion to see. They cannot seize this because they simply can't take that step. They're on a step three steps before that yet. That step is not even on their purview yet because they're just focused on the very first phase of their money. And that is why we need to sort of encourage people in a more positive way to focus more on their money, be more intentional with it, gain more awareness, figure out what we can do to sort of help them and support them, encourage them and that kind of thing. Because not only does it change their life, but then it helps them to and like change their life in the here and now, but it it opens the door for like, now what can I think about next? Where can I go next? And it's more of the long-term planning and that sort of thing. It's the security that comes from that and the stability that comes from that and the trickle effect of generations and passing on generational wealth and those types of things that absolutely influences that. So when we have these moments where those people who have been feeling stuck and frustrated and discouraged for probably a decade or more, if, if that's when they graduated college, they now feel hope for the first time. And they might be thinking for the first time, I have this opportunity to do something better, finally. And then they read posts from financial experts saying, I'm glad you need that because you didn't do it the responsible way like I did. And it's like those types of things knock people back down. And it's not helpful. It's not productive it doesn't empower people to want to seize this beautiful opportunity that has been afforded. It actually, I think, puts them in a headspace of like this identity of I'm somebody who needed a bailout. I'm that person. It actually like shifts their identity into more of a finite state as opposed to a growth mindset of like, hey, now that this is happening, what can we do about it? Like, what's the best thing? What's next? What doors does this open for you? What are the things? One of the questions that I've been sharing on my social media since this happened was, there's been so many times I know, because I hear my clients say this, there's been so many times where a person with a lot of student loan debt will have this thought. And it'll be something like, oh, if I didn't have student loans, I would do that. Or if you know, they'll have an idea. And then the next thought is, if only I didn't have these student loans. And it's probably happened so much that pattern can creep in where now they don't even let themselves acknowledge a goal or acknowledge a dream, right? Like it actually affects sort of their mindset. 
One of the things I've been inviting people to do is allow yourself to dream again. Just start there. Allow yourself when you have that thought of like, oh, I would love to do X. And then normally you would have had the thought, yeah, but I can't because of these student loans or, oh, but too bad because I'm going to have these student loans for the rest of my life. Because those are the types of thoughts that folks with student loans have. Like that's the weight of that. I have no doubt we hear it all the time. Allow yourself to imagine finally that you don't have them. What are all of those things you wished you could create for your life? Because it's that opportunity. Let's just hold space for those finally, because you've probably been burying them in your mind and not allowing yourself to even explore them emotionally, mentally, financially, all sorts of things. And that's a really beautiful place to start. I'm so appreciative of the perspective you're offering here and the tips and the pieces of hope. One thing that comes up as you're sharing that is how many people feel like it wasn't worth it getting the student loan in the first place? Like, was that higher education worth all of this stress? Was it worth them struggling for so long? Is it that they're being promised some sort of outcome by that education that they're not actually getting? Because again, something that I have not experienced myself, but while you're describing this, I'm thinking, wow, if I had student loan debt, like, I don't know if I would think that my college experiences were worthwhile. I enjoyed college. I'm actually not even working in the field that I studied in college anymore. You know, like what I thought my future was going to be career wise turned out to be very different. And just now starting to feel financial stability after about, I described this in, in that episode after 10 plus years of working in my field and not making very much money. I'm still not in the grand scheme of things making that much money. So if I had studied this career, like journalism, let's say, or broadcast journalism, if social media had been a career path when I went to school, maybe I would have studied that. But all that money I would have spent would make my current lifestyle very, very difficult. And definitely the past 10 years would have been very, very difficult. My Part of my point is that I didn't study what I'm doing now. So I could have actually never have gone to college and just started off and figured it out on my own. And I wonder how many people resent the fact that they went to college and took out all of those loans if it didn't even make that much of an impact on their income or their lifestyle. It actually made it worse. You are touching on something that is very accurate. I actually want to touch on resentment from two different perspectives. One, if you are the person that has student loans, but maybe are not working in the field where you got the student loans. And then the other situation that I want to talk about resentment, and if you are the person like myself, so I didn't say this earlier, but I graduated from college. I did end up paying off my student loans that I had after, I think it took me four or five years. My husband and I, I we both had some student loans as well from college or from our master's programs. Again, I think just because I've always been more of a financially savvy person, like I was able to pay them off right shortly after college. And I, I have a lot of pride about that. I'm very proud of the fact that we did that. But for some people, if you paid off your student loans, and maybe you feel resentment towards those who receive $10,000, and you paid off that $10,000 yourself, I want to speak to that for a second too. But the first one is, I don't know the statistics of like how many people work in a job where it's not with their degree. It seems quite common. <laughs> That's what I will say. Like the conversations I have with people, it seems quite common. One of the pieces of messaging that exists in our world that I would love to shift is this idea that all debt is bad all of the time. So student loan debt is bad if you have it. And credit cards are bad if you have them. And medical debt is bad if you have it. 
And one exercise that I would love to give your listeners to do for themselves is think about all of the good that came from the debt that you have. Because I believe this is not an or situation. It's an and and situation. Yes, that debt might be causing you stress today. And it might be something we want to look at as far as paying it off. So you have more opportunities that you can seize in the future and like those types of things. And it likely provided you with something in the moment that you needed and made your life better. And we want to acknowledge it for both things. I think about the fact of like, did you put a new outfit on your credit card And that outfit just made you show up for an interview or show up to a job feeling like a million bucks. So you felt more confident and that is okay. Yes, it went on a credit card, but it gave you a confidence that maybe you needed that day. Did you pay for a family vacation when your kids were young? It went on a credit card, but you felt like you made some beautiful memories at a time that you can't ever get back. Your student loans, even for you, maybe you can't say that you got the degree that you wanted or that maybe you're using today. But I think about two of my very best friends I met in college, and they are still my best friends today, 25 years later, and we talk all the time. I have no doubt encouraged my life in such beautiful ways, and I met them at college. I gained independence during college. I met my husband in college. I learned how to, I think, sort of be an adult in college. And maybe I could have learned those things in other ways, right? But I gained all of that by being able to go to college. And I also know too, my student loans, I think about this all the time, changed my family tree. Like I know that like it has created a trajectory for my family that I didn't have. And that's just something that I think is really beautiful. Even if I still had those student loans today, it's like never just one one extreme or the other. It's not just that they're all bad. Try to look at all the things that it provided for your life and the things that it gave you, the benefits. And some of those are intangible, which is why it's harder to sort of see them or quantify them or that sort of thing. But chances are, if we were to try and put a dollar value on them, they're exponentially greater than maybe the loan itself. That makes sense. That's the first component of resentment. The second is for those who maybe paid off their student loan and maybe you're feeling a little bit of resentment towards the fact that like, well, I paid off my loan had I known that maybe I wouldn't have. And Brene Brown says, and I love this, she says that the root emotion behind resentment is envy. And envy is this idea of like coveting another person's quality or a skill or a possession or something that somebody else has. You sort of want that for yourself. And in other words, I always think envy is simply like, hey, I want that too. That's all it is. That's as simple as that. It's, hey, I want that too. I think it is very reasonable and fair to acknowledge that like, if somebody else got $10,000, it's totally fine to say, I want that too. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. I think that's very reasonable. What we want to be careful of, though, is sort of that unchecked envy. And unchecked envy is where resentment will come from. Lots of clients who have totally paid off their student loans. And then we also have clients who are in the process of paying off their student loans and are about to receive $10,000 in this forgiveness, some of them $20,000. And so I've had lots of conversations from like all different angles on this. And it's been really a beautiful perspective to have. Those people who are receiving $10,000 in student loan forgiveness, I promise you, envy those who have previously paid off their student loans so much more than the person who already paid off their loan envies the person who's getting $10,000. And here's why. 
yes, one person gets $10,000 and that sounds great and is awesome and I'm very happy for them. But I want you to think about what a person gets when they have paid off their student loans. Self-trust is a big one. They believe that they can do it. They watch themselves do it. There's a sense of pride there of like, I did this. Depending on when you were able to do it, you have had opportunities. People with high student loan payments still do not have, even with a $10,000 forgiveness amount. Those opportunities, either a higher credit score, lower debt to income ratio, so you can buy a different kind of house in a different neighborhood so your kids can go to a different school. Maybe you are able to start a passion project because you have a little extra money every month to invest in a side hustle or a small business or something like that. It's all of these instances. There's so much that you gain when you pay off your student loans. You actually have more to be envious of than a person who got $10,000 because all of those things are actually more valuable than $10,000, if that makes sense. And one of the things we want to be really careful of is that we don't lose sight of those things. Those are all way more powerful. Those are all going to have a much more positive impact on our life and the trajectory of our life then $10,000. And for every moment we spend sort of envying what another person has or what they got that we didn't get or that kind of thing. I always like to think of it, we talk about comparisonitis a lot with our clients because comparisonitis comes up a lot with money, regardless of whether it's student loans or the car our neighbor just bought or either the vacations other people seem to get to take that we don't or like those types. I mean, comparisonitis is just a very common element of financial coaching. One thing that we talk about it, but one thing that I always say is like for every moment that we are thinking about what another person has that we don't have, it's sort of unproductive thought. A more productive thought is like, how can I create for myself what I want? And is that even something that I want or do I just want it because another person has it? Imagine if you were to ask a person who paid off their student loans, let's switch this. Let's say you decided you didn't pay off your student loans and you still have them today, whether it's five years later, six years later, whatever the case may be. Let's say you did it differently. Let's say you didn't pay off your student loans and you still had them today, but you got $10,000 today in a forgiveness. Would you make that trade? And every single time I've asked a client that question, they've said, no, I would not make that trade. I would much rather have paid off my debt when I did because of what it did for my life than actually get $10,000 today. Your experience with all of these financial situations is really impressive. And the way that you're able to articulate this and anticipate it based on how you've helped other people is really so wonderful. And you are also so eloquent. I'm just deeply grateful for how you phrase things, how you were able to get to the point. Are you still doing your own podcast, by the way? It looks like the last episode might have been in 2021 for fiscal fitness. We actually have a new project that we're launching very soon. So the idea with our podcast was we were releasing it in uh, seasons. So our new season was supposed to launch right about now. We actually have been presented with an opportunity through a TV show. So we're actually going to be, which we're really excited about. Yeah. So we've been in the behind the scenes doing sort of meeting with video producers. Just a little side note really quickly, just because I'm really excited about it. It's Every four episodes is going to sort of be a theme. And the first episode, we just walk around the street and different places and we ask random people the same question. And so we gather like a whole bunch of answers from people of like what they think about this part of money. And then the second episode, we actually pick one of those people and we coach them through it. And then the third episode, 
I am going to tackle the mindset of that. So sort of the reframes or the thought process or sort of the a little bit of like what we're describing now, which is like, where does that messaging come from? I think some of the cultural elements of why we think that way or that sort of thing where it comes from. And then the fourth episode is going to be all about the strategy that you can use behind that piece of money. So like, how can you make changes? What are some very specific financial strategies to try and that sort of thing? So I'm super jazzed about it. So that's why the podcast sort of took a backseat. That makes complete sense. I mean, that's so exciting. Will this project still be released? Let's say the production company goes in different direction, as I've seen happen way too many times for cool projects. Like, will you still put out the content or maybe use it to create another season of your podcast if the show doesn't pan out? Because I think this is such an important, exciting, and and it's like the true definition of edutaining because <laughs> you get to learn, but feel so entertained throughout it. As we were sort of in all the talks was a requirement of mine of that we needed to be able to own the content essentially at the end of the day. They have exclusive rights for four weeks. And then after four weeks, we can essentially do with it what we want because of that fear. I've been doing this for 12 years. So I totally know what you mean as far as like some of the best ideas, just they launch, but then sort of don't go anywhere. But now that all the thought and the strategy has been put behind the show. And I'm so excited about it. And I can see the impact it will have and like that kind of thing. I have no doubt that we will continue it long past. The video producers that we're using, we're actually in contract with them. I am in contract with them, not the actual production company. So I think that way we can keep that relationship going, even if the, the TV series itself doesn't take off. So we'll put it on YouTube or something like that. I'm super excited. I'm glad to hear that because what you're describing sounds too good to miss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think so too. Thank you. I love that. I, I just think you're doing incredibly important, helpful work. And I always like to end the episodes with people wanting more. If they want more, they've got two seasons of your podcast to listen to. What else can they discover through your website? You mentioned we too. So to clarify, who is the we involved with this project? I feel really blessed because if you would have asked me 10 years ago, sort of what I saw for myself as a financial coach and that sort of thing, I would have said something along the lines of, I will never train or hire another financial coach. I sort of always imagined it would be me and maybe an assistant or something like that. And the more I've seen some of the pervasive challenges and how widespread they are, I used to have this very naive thought that like I could help everybody. Just me. I could like change the world just by myself. And like I would just shout louder and everybody would sort of like catch on. And the longer that I've been doing this work and the more I see even just other financial experts sort of perpetuating some of these really negative, toxic concepts around money, the more I realize that I cannot do this by myself, that the problem is much bigger. And if I want to have the impact that I want to have, which is like truly change the way the world views money, like thinks about it, sees it, manages it, all sorts of things, then I'm going to need help. For about six years now, I have hired coaches who work for me. So they are my coaches. I train them myself, that sort of thing. They teach the same philosophies, the same concepts, that sort of thing. Probably my real passion has become actually seeing coaches that I train spread the right message that I want spread. Like it's actually become a true joy of my life of knowing that like, not only am I helping individual people with money think differently about money and managing it more productively and that kind of thing, but I've actually 
been able to teach other coaches on how to do the same thing for their individual clients and feeling like as a result, I can have a much bigger impact. So when I say we, it's not just me who coaches. I have a team of coaches that we all do one-to-one coaching. So it's really hands-on. It's very nuanced. We really feel passionate about getting a person to take action based on the way that will work best for them. Financial coaches will say they coach on money. I don't say I coach on money. I say I coach the whole person with their money. The idea is some financial coaches will say, well, I help you with budgeting. My first step with clients is that we help you gain awareness. And gaining awareness for some people is through a budget. And for other people, it's not through a budget. Like Sometimes it's not a budget at all. It's totally different. And our job is to achieve the results of gaining awareness. And how we do that is going to look different based on the person. Whatever that person needs however they show up best. you know. And again, in your financial episode, I loved it because I, I felt like I totally understood why the way that you did it worked great for you. Some people, for example, love like the details and specificity. They really thrive with specificity. Like it, it really is clear for them. It helps them to make confident decisions and that sort of thing. If we were to try that, they would actually feel very overwhelmed with too much detail. They would actually find that to be too overwhelming. It would actually stifle their creativity. They would feel like they can't take action from that place. Even just very subtle things like that. Like how detailed are we getting with your finances and the plan you have? Like some people want a lot of detail. They want it all mapped out. They want timelines and date, all sorts of things. And other people, they want it to feel more like they just have a roadmap and they can just, it's like a journey. And it's more like sensory, if you will, of like, how do I feel along this journey? Am I feeling confident in this journey? Our job is to really coach the whole person on their money, not necessarily have one way that we think works for everybody, because I don't think that's how money works. Well, it's just a wonderful approach that you take. And for somebody who's interested in a session with you, Speaking of accessibility, I imagine as a financial coach, one of the first hurdles you have to get over is somebody either feeling like they don't have enough money to hire a coach or they're afraid to spend their money on that. If somebody's having any of those emotions or blocks coming up, like I would love to work with Kelsa or someone on our team, but what about the cost? How do they navigate through that with you? For everybody, they can just go to fiscalfitnessphx.com. That's our website, fiscalfitnessphx.com. We do a free call with everybody so that you can hop on with a coach, talk through this. I will say that this is a very ironic thing oftentimes where it's like we help people with money and we charge for it, right? Like we get that that's a, a little bizarre, a little strange. I will also say that this is part of that sort of pervasive toxic problem is the broke mentality. One of the things we see all the time is like, yes, there are absolutely people that cannot afford certain things, even like a utility bill, food on the table, that kind of thing. We know exactly where to point those people to. We've got free resources for them, that sort of thing. The call, Our job on the call is to get you to take the next best step for yourself, whatever that is. If it's not hiring us, that's totally fine. Our job is just to help you make financial progress. And progress is just one step at a time. If we hop on that call with you, we will absolutely point you in the right direction, no matter what that is. Our job is just to serve a person really well. That is our job. Now, I will say, oftentimes, this broke mentality, if for so long throughout your life, you have felt like you've wanted things and not been able to afford them, that is a thought pattern that takes over after a while. And 
we see, we have some clients who are incredibly wealthy, partners in law firms and making so much money. And they still have this thought come up sometimes of, I can't afford that. And they'll come into a coaching session and it's sort of this idea, like they're almost like proud of themselves. They want like their coach's approval and they'll say, hey, yesterday I thought about buying this thing, but I didn't because I knew I couldn't afford it. Aren't you proud of me? And we'll say, one, how do you know that you couldn't afford it? Did you look at something? Did you see anything? It was that just like the thought you told yourself that you couldn't afford it. Well, often I'll say, let's just look. Let's just say you did want this. Let's just take a look. Let's see. There's so many times where the person absolutely could have afforded it. 100% could have, but they've been in that mindset for so long, assuming that they can't, that we really have to coach through that. The other thing that I will say is when that happens, the question should always be, and this is one of those, we train our clients to think a little differently about this. If you want something and you truly want it, I never want the reason you don't buy it or get it to be that you can't afford it. If you decide not to buy something for any reason, you change your mind, it's not worth it to you, the value's not there, any of those things, then that is okay. Don't buy it for that reason. But if you truly want something, the question is, how can I afford this? How can I make this happen? If you really want something, then that's when we want to turn on the creativity button. We want to look at it and say, if this is important to me, where can I go to make this happen for myself? How can I create either the money, the space, trim expenses, like whatever the case may be, how can I actually make that happen for myself? And by assuming that we can't buy something, we stop that thought process from undergoing. And that thought process is really important. One of the other things that happened, clients would come to me and they had hired us. So we were their coach for a while. And I'm really proud of the fact that actually a lot of our clients, once we start working together, they tend to invest in themselves in a lot of other ways after that. And I actually, that's something that I'm very proud of. Like they'll either invest in their health with a personal trainer, or they'll invest in a therapist for mental health, or they'll hire a life coach, or they'll just career coach, right? Like all sorts of things. And I think that's really good. So, but one of the things that has happened is, Coaches would say, I'm thinking of doing this. I'm thinking of investing in my health, or I'm thinking of hiring a personal trainer, that kind of thing. Help me think through this. Help me decide if this investment is worth it. And the cool thing is that after all these conversations, they're not trying to make the decision to invest in me. It's like, I don't have a horse in this race. This isn't a, about me. This is about whatever the client wants for themselves. And what happens when it comes to investing in yourself, what you're trying to do, what your brain has to do is you have a tangible cost. You know how much X is going to cost you. Either the personal trainer is X amount per month or that therapist is X amount per session or coaching costs X. There's a very tangible finite dollar amount attached to it. But the benefits are oftentimes intangible. All the things you gain, whether that's weight loss and you sleep better at night or you have more strength or you like the way you look when you walk by a mirror because you're in better shape or your clothes start to fit differently or you carry yourself differently or you feel more passionate at your job because you switched careers because of the career coach. Like These are all things that are very intangible. So our brain struggles. It's not as simple as weighing pros and cons or sort of like making the decision because you're trying to compare apples to oranges. It's like our brain can't compute. Like, how do you compare a, a tangible cost to intangible benefits? I designed just through all these conversations, it's a five-step like gains framework. And it's all about helping people 
also look at the intangible costs. So what is this decision going to cost you so that you're both looking at it from a tangible and intangible cost? But then we're also going to look at it from a tangible and intangible benefit. We're essentially making it so our brain can compare the two evenly in order to make that decision, if that makes sense. When we talk with our clients, I mean, this would honestly be a great episode because we could do the entire episode on the gains framework and like coach people through it. But the idea is we simply help people make this decision of investing in themselves using the same framework that we use for our clients when they're making decisions all of the time. Sometimes it can be a little weird because it's about hiring us, but it is truly the same decision-making framework that you're trying to use to hire us. And a financial coach is the same that you would want to use when you're investing in yourself and in your future in any other area of your life. I'm going to pause here because there's a big crossover between our finances and our health. And as you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you're thinking of all the different ways that you want to be more financially responsible, right? And sometimes that can feel really overwhelming when you're trying to take good care of yourself. If you're like me, you drink coffee every day, maybe tea, perhaps you drink a bottled beverage like a juice or something. Those are all great. For less than the price of most of those products, you can actually get all of your supplements in one. And you can get the same experience as a bottled juice. If you're looking to take a break from coffee and want something that still gives you energy, you can do all of that for under $3. Thanks to my amazing sponsor, Athletic Greens, who makes the AG1 powder. This was designed by someone who experienced a ton of gut health issues and had a complicated supplement routine that cost him $100 a day. Now, I've never been in that position before, but... Some people have, maybe you have, or maybe, like I said, you're just looking to swap some things out, experiment a little. Couldn't recommend AG1 powder enough. It tastes great and it has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and more in this to help you start your day right. If you want to check them out, they've made it super easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of their immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I'll link that in the description and the show notes for you so that you can easily take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to the episode. Kelsa, I love the way that you think through so much and your transparency is so appealing. <laughs> you know, it has created so much trust. I think about my own financial perspectives and the things I want to work on. And you've just broadened my mind and brought so much to the forefront today for me and the listener. And I'm deeply grateful for that. Plus the work that you do, you can feel the passion, as I mentioned your experience is there. It's it's really wonderful. And knowing that this is such a sensitive subject for a lot of people, a tough thing, the shame that you've mentioned today, the weight of it, but also the hope that can be there and your ability to inspire people and let them know that they can be guided to a better place that doesn't just have a ripple effect on themselves, but their whole community that to me is so wonderful. You've reminded me and hopefully the listener to think outside of ourselves 
also reminded us that it's not always easy to think outside of ourselves because when we're surviving, sometimes it's hard to think about what someone else is going through. Sometimes it's hard to think beyond the next few days or a week you pointed out too, that it's hard to plan for the future. These are tough things, but you've brought a lightness and a bright light to it in some phenomenal ways. And I just feel full of gratitude for your presence and your generosity with your time and the resources that you've provided. So thank you deeply. Thank you for having me. I feel like what you just described is what I seek to do. So I appreciate you for saying that so much. Thank you. You're welcome. And for the listener, there is a full transcript of this episode. There will be a video version of this episode. There are links to all of the resources that we've mentioned. And most importantly, to Kelsa's website where you can book a call with her or her team. You can listen to the other podcast episodes there, the multiple seasons, and hopefully see the news on this upcoming television show. I've also provided that in the description right underneath the podcast player. So you can look there to start. And if you want that full transcript and all the links from this episode, that's over at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Kelsa, I can't wait to dive in more myself. I'm so excited to see what happens. I hope that at least one of the listeners of this episode go and take some action. And even if they don't, that they receive some takeaways that can propel them towards more hope today. Thank you to you and the listener for being here and making this a priority. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.